Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am Sarah and this is my co-host Darcy. How are you doing, Darcy? I am great. Um, I spent my Friday night watching Auburn basketball blow out North Carolina to make it to the Elite Eight. So what? I'm doing great. A um, little bit of a hangover, but we're working through it. <laughs> Always good to hear. So right. Darcy's not going to be drinking during this episode, I don't think. Strictly water for me today. <laughs> I have I'm got too old to, <laughs> to to drink two days in a row. Anyway, like that. anyway, I have a half a bottle of champagne that I am making my way through because I think I sound so much more interesting and nice when I'm drinking. <laughs> don't we all? Right. Okay. In case you didn't know, this is a podcast where we talk about. Strange stuff, crazy cases, things that make you say, hmm, paranormal, supernatural, true crime. If it's weird, wild, and bizarre, provocative, whatever, we're going to talk about it on this podcast. We've got a great show for you guys today. We are going to talk about the national park system and some crime slash interesting stuff that is going on in the national parks today. Uh, I'm going to start it out by saying that I have been to a lot of the national parks. Have you, Darcy? I no, I really haven't. I've been to the Grand Canyon, but like I, I stopped there for a minute when I was driving across country, and I—that's pretty much it, I think. Well, I have been. I've been to, like, been to Yellowstone. I've been to the Sequoias. I've been to Mount Rainier. Those are all national parks. Um, we're going to focus a little bit of the show today on Yellowstone National Park in particular, but I'm going to just start it out by talking about some really interesting and fun facts about the national parks. I have an article that I have pulled from kickassfacts.com called 40 Interesting Facts About the National Parks. Kickass Facts. How can you beat that? I love that website name. <laughs> Kickass Facts, the fact encyclopedia, it says. So nice. let's see how factual this encyclopedia online actually is. So fact number one, a report found that for every $1 invested in the U.S. National Park Service, the American public receives $4 in economic value. I don't really know what that means. So <laughs> we invest a uh, dollar and we get like, $4 back. I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, my guess would be that that's an argument for continuing to fund the national parks um, and take care of them because when, because they charge, you know, and they make revenue. So they're making more money than we're putting into it. Right. But are they really? Cause I thought we were losing According money. Facts.com, They are. <laughs> I thought they were losing money. <laughs> um, I can't okay. argue with kickassfacts.com. Right. Um, number two, a plane carrying 6,000 pounds of pot crashed in Yosemite National Park. Climbers in the Yosemite Valley heard the news of the crash and sparked a miniature gold rush up to 20 people searching for the frozen crash site. Much of the weed, much of that weed was salvaged, smoked, and or sold before the park rangers found them. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? You know, pot smokers get a bad rap, but they fucking move quick on that one. I never heard of that, and it sounds like a fucking amazing coincidence that a plane with a bunch of pot would have crashed in that park. Do you know where or what, uh, when this was? It doesn't say. Oh, man. Hang on one sec. Let me click on the source. <laughs> sure. Uh, the, it was originally reported in mensjournal.com. And it's the sure. truth. <laughs> the article from the men's journal is the true story of what happened when a plane loaded with 6,000 pounds of pot crashed in Yosemite. Hang on. I can find the date. I'm pretty sure. April 1977. 
That's when it happened? Yeah. God damn. This fucking... Some websites just have way too many pop-up lock ads. Yeah. Pop-up ads. Okay. So 1977 is when this plane supposedly crashed with all that weed. Sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, they got to that right quick. So number three, the Italian government offers 18-year-olds a 500-pound culture bonus, which can be spent on this country's national parks, books, concert tickets, theater tickets, cinema tickets, and even museum visits. So the Italian government is saying, hey, you go to the U.S., go visit the national parks, we'll give you 500 pounds. Huh. Interesting, right? Any 18-year-old can take advantage of that. Isn't that kind of bizarre? Yeah, that's really weird. Cool, cool. In 1903, after camping with John Muir, Teddy Roosevelt established Yosemite as a national park to preserve it with all its majesty all unmarred. As President T.R. signed into existence four other national parks, 18 national monuments, 55 national bird and wildlife refuges, and 150 national forests. So this was in 1903 Yosemite was established. After Mr. Teddy Roosevelt saw how beautiful it was. Which is not surprising. Have you been to Yosemite? No, I've never been to Yosemite. But actually, when you said um, that you've been to the Sequoias, that reminded me I have also been to the Sequoias. And, like, the Redwoods. um, Because I remember, like, that tree that you can drive through. Yes. We went when I was, like, 12. So I vaguely remember it. But, yeah, I have have been there. That was really awesome. Absolutely amazing. Beautiful, beautiful places. If you ever have the chance to go, go. Because... Who knows how long these places will be accessible to us and how long the funding will be available to keep them open to the public. But they are just absolutely magnificent in many ways during all times of the year. So yeah. highly, highly recommended. Uh, number five on this list, grizzly bear number 122 of Banff National Park is the largest bear in the area, has eaten black bears, has fathered five cubs, and was hit by a train and lived. Holy shit. Right? I'm actually going to, um, I'm hoping to go to um, a conference up in Calgary, and that's near Banff. I think that's near Banff. Um, That is an amazing national park in itself. Um, It's also very amazing that they tag all the bears that they find throughout the parks so that they can keep track of them in the event Mm -hmm. that they do, uh, you know, break into a home or kill somebody so that they can make sure that if something like that does happen and they have to kill the animal, that they don't have to kill a bunch of them, that they can kill the specific one that did the damage or try to narrow it down, which is, is pretty cool. Um, it's sad as well though, because you know, this is their land. They were here first and now, you know, we're here interfering with their lives, with their environment. And when they fight back, they get, they have to be put to death. I know. Did you read about that? I think he was a jogger and he was running in a, like I'm assuming a national forest or a national park and um, a wildcat like yeah. attacked him. Oh my God. It was a kitten. It was only like seven or eight months old. It probably really? weighed about 30 or 40 pounds. Yeah. But those, I mean, still he strangled it with his bare hands. Can you believe that? I, no, I can't. I can't believe it. But also that's one of those things. I feel like you don't know what you would do until you're in that situation. And, um, it might be a 30 or 40 pound cat, but you're also not used to seeing cats that big. So that probably fucked me up a little bit. Well, the fact of the matter was it was an orphaned kitten. Um, its mother had been killed and it was starving. So mm-hmm. it was desperate and it was trying to eat and it didn't understand right. it. because it had been orphaned. Its mother wasn't around to teach it how to hunt. So it just right. went for the first thing that came by in desperation sort of. And it's, it's a sad 
sad thing for for that. But I mean, that's nature, right? That's a super fucking bummer. Yeah. So they did a lot of research and they found out a lot of facts about that particular case after it. But um, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, number six, on October 23rd, 1999, base jumper and stunt woman Jan Davis died while making an illegal protest jump from El Capitan intended to demonstrate the safety of base jumping at Yosemite National Park after they did a ban on base jumping in the area. So they said, you can't do this. It's not safe. And she was like, want to bet? And she died. I'll show you how safe this is. <laughs> right? That was in 1999. Opposite. Um, I have been to that particular park and uh, hiked around that climbing area and there were probably two dozen people on it on that particular day um mm-hmm. no one was obviously base jumping but people were just climbing which mm-hmm. in itself is super intense because it's up high i have a little bit of a fear of heights so for me that yeah. would have been terrifying but yeah it's got to be an amazing climb i can't believe some people do it without like lines without safety lines some people will just free climb it it's not as common but people will free climb it Free climbing is terrifying. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Like for me, that's like my worst fear. Yeah, absolutely. Other than being trapped in a box with like a hundred spiders. What? Why? <laughs> Why would you bring that up? <laughs> that is my, about spiders. That's my worst fear. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Number seven on this list in 1996, an April Fool's Day prank um, was held and the Taco Bell Corporation took out a full page ad that said it bought the Liberty Bell and was renaming it the Taco Liberty Bell. So the (laughs) the National Historic Park in Philadelphia received hundreds of outraged calls but this was like an april fool's day prank in 1996 do you remember that were you yes i was gonna say i feel like i remember that that's hilarious that was i may not remember exactly like the when it actually happened but i definitely remember hearing about it i was a teenager and i think i do remember hearing about that too but i knew that it was a a prank like an april fool's thing there was no way that it was gonna be real right like, no one's going to sell the Liberty Bell. Like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> right? Capitalism at its finest. Get your shit together if you think that Taco Bell is going to be able to buy that. <laughs> That's really funny, though. <laughs> Number eight. So I guess this is just national parks in general because it's got some facts in here from Britain um, and Paris. It says 19 baboons from the Paris Zoo sent to a national park in England were unable to understand English commands but were fully cognitive of French words forcing their English keepers to learn French. So I'm not really sure why that fact is <laughs> thrown in I, here on the National Park Service. I literally don't know what to do with that information. So the baboons were like, fuck you, <laughs> English, why would they, English zookeepers. Like, why were they expected to know English? That uh, seems completely unrealistic. Baboons are supposed to be like, you're supposed to tell them what to do, and they're supposed to just do that shit. Right, but if they've never been around English, why... They forced their zookeepers to learn French, so... Like, that's written in a manner that's like, I can't believe these guys don't know English. What the fuck? We know we have to learn French? (laughs) I don't even know why that's included here. It seems like this should only be (laughs) national parks in the U.S., not fucking English national parks, but... Number nine, Yellowstone National Park's geothermal hot springs are capable of dissolving a human body overnight. Whoa. So if you want to kill somebody and get rid of that shit, just kill them and go throw them in the hot springs and it will dissolve that shit overnight. Um, I'm really glad you mentioned that crimes in Yellowstone Park um, because I found this really cool article and I had read it once before, 
there is a 50 square mile zone of death in Yellowstone where you could potentially get away with murder. So what? Yeah. So the, the deal is, um, wait, say that again for the, for the listeners out there. So there is a 50 square mile zone of death in national park where you could potentially get away with murder. What national park? uh, Yellowstone. Wow. Yeah. So here's how it works. Yellowstone covers three states. The majority of it is in Wyoming, but there are parts of it in Minnesota and there's 50 square miles of it in Idaho. Okay. And there are no people. The population of this section in Idaho is zero. Wow. Um, There's like maybe 40 people in the um, Montana one, but um, nobody in Idaho. So if you go to this 50 square mile area of Idaho, that's also the national park and kill somebody, they would not, the court would not be able to seat a jury because there's no one living there. You have to be right. Cause you have to be tried in the federal district where the crime was committed. And your jury has to be from the state where the crime was committed. So first of all, you'd so, have to drag somebody into that 50 square mile radius or bring that person in that you want to mm-hmm. kill. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're in so, there. <laughs> that's the thing. So this was discovered by um, a Michigan State University law professor, and he decided he was going to write this article about it. It's called The Perfect Crime, this article. It's like an essay. It was in the Georgetown Law Journal. Um, but before he published it, he wrote Congress and was like, hey, I found this legal loophole. Um, do you guys want to do anything about it? And they pretty much were like, nah, it's probably not going to be a problem. So he writes this paper, and it's like <laughs> – This is how you get away with the perfect crime. So the way it works is all of Yellowstone is covered in the federal district of Wyoming because Yellowstone was created before Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana were states. So when they became states, Idaho and Montana said, you know what, we will give our area of Yellowstone to the district of Wyoming. Okay. So those sections, so if the crime is committed in this Idaho area, that is under the federal district of Wyoming and not not um, Idaho. Hmm. But your Sixth Amendment says that you have to have a jury from the state where the crime was committed. So there is no jury that could be seated in this. So how many people have so, been killed in that little area? Uh, none. So... There is an actual case, though, where this does come into play. So it was in Montana. There was a man named Michael Belderain who had illegally shot an elk in Montana in December 2005. And when he was arrested, he cited this article in his own defense. So he was standing in Yellowstone when he shot the elk and dragged the elk's head to a truck that was parked in Yellowstone. So he was indicted in the U.S. District for the District of uh, Wyoming. He objected and said that he had a right to be tried by jurors from the Montana portion of the park, which is possible because there are like about 40 people there. Um, so they could see the jury if they could get, you know, 12 people who are suitable for a jury that aren't, you know, struck or aren't federal employees or. Anything, so he needed you know, a jury trial for shooting an elk. Um, I assume it's probably like a poaching thing. Okay. Um, but. Um, basically the court was like, no, we're just not going to do that. So they tried him in Wyoming. Um, and the arguments that they gave were pretty weak, which is why this, this, you know, this law, this law professor is talking about in this article, 
So the court dismissed his argument because a agreeing to his argument, that would imply that Yellowstone actually does contain this zone of death with legal jurisdiction issues. Um, and they don't want people and, to know that. Well, they don't want to like set that legal precedent, I think. Cause then they'd um, have to do something about it officially. Right. Right. And so like the, um, this, the ruling was about Montana, which is, so this is the court's argument. The ruling was about Montana in which there wouldn't be a zone of death, death, even if the court accepted his reasoning due to people living in the Montana portion. Third, the court flagrantly ignored article three of the constitution's separate right to a trial in the state of the crime by not moving the trial to Montana. So you could, you would think maybe this guy is going to appeal that, right? This, this, this court of appeals ruling. Right. Based on those facts nope. of error. Nope. Right? He took a plea deal. And part of that plea deal included a provision barring him from appealing this precise issue. So he can appeal all of the other parts of his you just can't indictment. Make but not that, that one part of the public so record. I mean, so they know about this. They yeah. know the problem. And now they're offering him a plea deal saying, you know what? Let's just all pretend that this doesn't, doesn't exist. This is not a real problem. So I wonder if the hot springs where the bodies can be dissolved are in that 50 mile zone. I doubt it. It's, <laughs> it's, I think it's just forest. I, like, I think it's just forest. So the, the, the article, you know, does point out that you probably really couldn't get away with committing a crime there because if you go there with the plan to commit a crime – they can convict you of conspiracy in the state that are in the area where you left. You know what I mean? Like where you have yeah. this plan. If you brought any outside weapons, they could get you on a weapons charge. So basically you have a, you would have to go in there not planning it and kill somebody by like beating them over the head with a rock or something. Cause you can't bring any weapons wow. from the outside in. So that would be the only way that you could do that. But even then, because of what happened in the Montana thing, they would still probably just say, yeah, this was, committed under Wyoming's federal district. So we're going to charge you in Wyoming. Well, if you were that dude that killed the, um, the wildcat with his bare hands, you could probably go in there and kill somebody with your bare hands. You probably could. And then be like, Oh, it was some self-defense. Yep. I'm good. And theoretically they could not seat a jury for your trial. We don't want to advocate murder folks, but just saying, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. But it is an interesting story. It is a bizarre and fascinating detail. We don't want people to go out and kill anyone, but it is very interesting that there is that little tiny little area there, yep. which appears to be oversight. Senators and representatives of the area, you know, were made aware of it, and they said, "Oh, we're going to do something about this," and then they never did. So basically. They're saying, yes, we know about it, but we're too busy doing other stuff, so we're not going to get to this. So as, all they could do, as of today, it's still there. It still exists because all that would they would need to do is change this 50-square-mile area, the federal district, put it in Idaho and not Wyoming. That's all that they would do. And then they could pick people from the state of Idaho outside of this 50-square-mile area. Hmm. But they haven't done it. Very interesting. Right. I would imagine that this is something that does not gain a whole lot of attention in the media. So it probably won't. It'll probably be a while more before. um, The article first came out in 2005. um, And I do think it got a lot of press then. But obviously, 14 years later, nothing. I mean, nothing's been done about it. So. Right. Yeah. Well, if there's not a lot of of murder happening, then I don't see them making a change. Right. Right. Which is their argument. 
that this is not a high crime area. We don't have to worry about this. We're not going to do anything about it. It's not like it's inner city Chicago and there's a bunch of guns and murder happening. It's a freaking forest in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Interesting. Which is kind of the wild west still. Oh, isn't there a lot of Nazi activity or not Nazi, but neo-Nazis? Yes. In Idaho? There is. There's, there, there are large sects of, um, white supremacy, white supremacist groups and white separatist groups in both Idaho and um, Montana. And there's some really interesting books and stuff that you can read about that, specifically um, Ruby Ridge, which which took place in Idaho. That was like the big um, government fuck up before Waco. But those are all leaked linked together. And that's really interesting. We can talk about that another time. Interestingly enough, our family homestead is also in Idaho. Oh, is that right? In Hope, Idaho. Where's that? Um, on Lake Ponderé, I think it's in the in the middle of the state. I want, or no, maybe it's in the lower southern portion. I'm not exactly sure because my dad ended up selling the land a few uh, years ago. But our family had our homestead there for hundreds of years. Um, that's where the did family. Did you ever go? I never actually got to go. Um, the house that was there burned down, I believe, in the 70s, and they never built mm-hmm. anything else on there. So it was just a bunch of land. Right. Um, and then it, my dad sold it to some developers not too long after that. But it's interesting. very sad because that was in our family for a lot of years. There was timber. Yeah. There was a silver mine. There was a bunch of other stuff oh, that wow. sustained my grandmother so that she didn't have to work. So this is like a lot of land. It was. It was actually supposed to be wow. held in trust for my dad, my uncle, and my grandmother. And my uncle and my grandmother passed away. So it became my dad's and he was supposed to ensure that it passed down in the family and came to us kids and mm-hmm. he ended up selling it. So it's a sad, oh, man. sad thing. But anyway, yeah. that's a little digression there. Um, number 11 on our national parks fact sheet is the least visited national park in the U.S. is the gates of the Arctic National Park and preserve in Alaska which lies entirely north of the Arctic Circle and has no established roads, trails, visitor facilities, or campgrounds. Well, that makes sense that why it's not um, visited often. Why the fuck There's is it a national no park? There's literally nowhere to get there and nowhere to drive around. In there. <laughs> why the fuck is it a national park? So we're we're funneling money into this place that no one can go visit, basically. That one's probably, I would, if I were to guess, I would say that one's probably like a scientific research one. Possibly. You know? But there's a picture of it here, and it's, it looks actually pretty gorgeous yeah. in, in the warmer months. Um, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, number 12 on this list, on May 25th, 2015, a man discovered an orphan baby moose in Yellowstone National Park in Montana. When he reported the calf to local authorities, they shot the baby and blew up the carcass of it. Its dead mother... They, they shot it up, blew up the carcass, and the carcass what of its dead fuck? mother to prevent grizzly bears from being drawn to the area. Oh. Interesting. That's awful. But see, if you wanted to try them, it would be very hard to see the jury. Absolutely. I skipped a fact here. I think I missed fact number 10. There is a legendary hobo rock climber known as Chongo, who, while illegally living inside Yosemite National Park almost for almost a decade, made a life for himself by scavenging food, ascending sheer rock faces, and writing a book called The Homeless Interpretation of Quantum Mechanics. What the actual Is fuck? that a different interpretation from <laughs> quantum mechanics of people that, that have... Um, so the homeless residences? have a different interpretation than normal scientists? Not to my knowledge. I don't know. It sounds like he was, again, he was probably okay. doing acid. I haven't read this, haven't read this book, so. 
Can't speak to that. Go out and read the homeless interpretation of quantum mechanics and write us an email <laughs> and let us know if it's interesting or not, or if it seems legit. I wonder if it's available anywhere, if it's like he wrote it, but he never published it. I don't know. But the fact that there's a homeless rock climber, like I can yeah. imagine like in the warmer months, it's probably not that hard to live off scavenging from like garbage cans or things. Cause there's a lot of visitors that come to those national parks, but in the winter, mm-hmm. that's gotta be rough. Well, it just says he's homeless, right? It doesn't say he's destitute. So like maybe he works as a guide or he does something. Maybe he has money. He just chooses to. <laughs> independently wealthy (laughs) homeless rock climber hey i don't know this man's life i'm not judging him but that just sounds crazy right um here fact number 13 talks about what you just talked about the zone of death oh cool um, it says there's 50, 50 square mile area within Yellowstone dubbed the zone of death. Legal scholars assert that due to certain technicalities involving find a suitable, finding a suitable jury, a person could potentially murder someone and not have to stand trial. We talked about it already. It's been covered. Interesting. Um, that little zone of death. I had actually heard of the zone of death before, but I did not know that that was what it was about. So I've been educated. I mm-hmm. learned something new today. Pretty amazing. And that's what's important. Absolutely. Learn something new every day, folks. Um, Number 14 on this list, the wild bison of Yellowstone National Park have adapted to utilize the local hot springs as bidets to clean the thick fur off their nether regions before mating. (laughs) Is that not the craziest shit you've ever heard? (laughs) They clean their ass before they mate with the hot springs. I think to me, crazier part is that somebody watched them do this enough to notice that it is a learned behavior. Well, they have actually studied the bison quite a bit because they were extinct. So, like, the wild animals in any one of the parks have just been thoroughly, thoroughly studied because they have had major issues with population um, and potential extinction for many of them. So they probably get studied a lot more than normal wildlife, I would imagine. Right, but imagine that's your job is bison It's to study ass habits of bison in Yellowstone. Yeah. And you see it happen like once and you're like, oh, that was weird. That must be a really smart bison. And you see it happen twice and you're like, huh, this is, this might be a pattern. Let me keep watching this. I'm going to go ahead and put the two and two together and, and consider that he's cleaning his ass. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> That's the only logical conclusion. <laughs> Number 15 on this list says, Iranians still use the ancient form of air conditioning called badskir. It is a tower with vents at the top that allows cool air to accelerate down into a building. Zion National Park in Utah has a modern example of this where temperatures reach over 100 degrees. The visitor center stays cool at 73 degrees. So they have this big tower. The heat goes to the top and then cools down into the bottom of the building. Interesting. I actually I think I've been to Zion. Is that the one in Moab, Utah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I drove through it. I haven't actually spent very much time there, but it's gorgeous. Oh my gosh, we we drove through Zion National Park, and that place is absolutely one of the most amazing. Yeah. If you can go to that one, even if you just drive through it, it's got yeah, it's, so it's many just gorgeous, gorgeous landscapes yeah. that it's something you'll never forget. Highly, highly recommended. Number sixteen on this list: In 1946, Argentina imported 20 beavers from Canada and stocked a lake with the intention of creating a fur trade. Now the beaver population is over 200,000 and threatens 16 hectares. Hectic. What the fuck? Hectares. (laughs) I can't even say that word. Of Tierra del Fuego (laughs) National Park. 
So well, that was really executed. Argentina was like, hey, let's get these Canadian beavers going on. We can make some fucking fur trade going on. And it they just like took over. Never a good idea. Canadian beavers sounds like a euphemism. My Canadian ancestors are actually fur traders. And some of my first relatives to come to the U.S. were Canadian fur traders. So beavers are in my family. <laughs> Canadian beaver runs up my family. Oh, God. Why? Um, Number 17 on this list. Anyone who removes Hawaiian rocks from the islands is said to be cursed. Every year, people mail back thousands of pounds of rock, sand, shells, etc. from the Hawaiian Volcanoes National Park. Many report their lives have been ruined by the curse. Have you heard of that? I have heard of that um, because it's illegal to take stuff from the Hawaiian Volcano National Park. Um, And so people do. And I don't know how it started, but I I assume it was like this urban legend got out there and people were like, no. And then they were like, I'm going to take stuff and blah, 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 whatever. And then they're like, oh, shit, something happened. I need to mail this back. This is definitely the reason. So I don't know. I think when I had never heard of that, that. Um, I they legit. Have you been to Hawaii? No, I've never been. They, I have been many times, and they legit check your shit hardcore when you leave there. They right. x-ray your bags. They, like, it has to be specially inspected for flora and fauna and et cetera. But I thought it was because they didn't want to bring disease from the mainland back to the island because it could pretty much eliminate and kill the Hawaiian plants. But mm-hmm. I think that's probably true, but there's also – the other part is they don't want things from Hawaii going to the mainland, too. For, for the same types but, of reasons yeah, I, I actually right i actually have heard of that um but i think when it when you're talking about stuff like that you're kind of looking for reasons to believe this urban legend so like you take whatever a rock or shell or whatever and then something bad happens that might just be happening you know what i mean like, it could just be coincidence right and you're like oh fuck this is definitely this first well i can say interestingly enough my grandmother loved hawaii she was a hula competitive amateur hula dancer whoa she was also a cancer survivor as she went through breast cancer when she was i think it was in the seven late 70s early 80s she went through chemo and radiation they removed her breasts and she had prosthesis Mm -hmm. and her hair never grew back after the radiation the chemo but she would go to hawaii every year to compete in these contests and to sort of participate in hawaiian culture and she would come back with plant samples plant clippings because she had a huge garden and a greenhouse in the back of her home and they were not allowed to take the flora and fauna off the island. So she would tape them inside of her prosthesis and inside of her wig. And she had a bunch of fucking Hawaiian plants in the back of her home that she had grown from clippings every time she visited Hawaii. Is this the same grandma from the land in in, um, Idaho? No, different grandmother, but this is also the one that was married to the guy who got the death penalty different episode the man have we talked about that yet we have not talked about that that is a whole nother episode that we're going to talk about but she was married to a man that killed somebody that was the story of my grandmother and her removal illegally of the hawaiian flora and fauna (laughs) that she built this amazing garden behind her home with like waterfalls and koi ponds and like all kinds of hawaiian plants it was absolutely amazing she was a very, very interesting character. At the time when I was growing up, I felt like she was totally embarrassing. I wanted nothing to do with her. I didn't want my friends to see her. 
but I feel bad now because back then she was kind of a badass. She wore these great big, yeah. huge, like reddish brown wigs, like massive wigs that were just like made her hair look like it was huge. And she would wear uh-huh. these colorfully painted earrings with like parrots and lots of colors and feathers and just these moo-moos with all kinds. She just didn't give a fuck about anything. No fashion, no society yeah. telling you. She just did what she wanted to fucking do. Yeah. She was She's an amazing woman. She was married to a fucking killer. Like this woman yeah. survived a lot of shit and she was just like, I'm going to do what I want to do and live my life, live my best fucking life. This woman survived a lot of shit. And then she ended up dying um, right after I graduated from college. She had either a stroke or heart attack. I'm not really sure which one it is and ended up passing away. Um, she was considered or called brain dead. And her uh-huh. eldest son, she had given power of attorney to, and he took her off life support um, uh-huh. and then divided up her. Well, he didn't divide up anything. She had a bunch of assets, and then there was some land from my grandmother. She had a bunch of land, different side of the family. They had a bunch of land as well in Washington State, and he took everything and sold it and took the money and ran off. Uh, yeah. So she had, there were five kids in that family. He took everything and didn't give any to anybody else. He ended up, um, being diagnosed with either cancer or diabetes or some, something awful. And he was basically dying and tried to apologize for it later, but it was uh a really big family scandal. But I think my grandfather, my, my grandmother's father, my great grandfather, he was the one that had the foresight to buy a bunch of land and he lived well till he was almost a hundred and he had had Mm -hmm. part of his leg amputated and lived by himself until he was into his late nineties, an amazing, amazing man. Um, and I feel like my grandmother, had she not been diagnosed with cancer would have lived just as long. She was a trooper as well. Um, very, very interesting people that just, lived the way they wanted to live and didn't give a fuck about what society yeah. was. They had no fucks to give for anyone that was telling them what they needed to do. But anyway, that's awesome. That's the way to do it. That was a sidebar. <laughs> Number 18 on this list. There are seven large elephants from the Kruger national park that have at least one tusk weighing over 50 kilograms or 110 pounds. The largest tusks reached. Where the fuck is Kruger National Park? Is this this isn't in the U.S. Uh, that's the one from the um, the the Nightmare on Elm Street ones, right? Kruger National Park. Uh huh. Isn't that where that all happened? Like Freddy Krueger. That was on Elm Street. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. Let me look at the source I know, on this. That's what I'm saying. I don't think Kruger National Park is like South no, African. That's South, South Africa. Africa. Like what the fuck? Yeah. How is that in here? I don't know. We have one from Argentina. So the national parks in South Africa have some big ass elephants with tusks that reach 110 pounds each and 10 feet in length. That shit is legit. Let's go back to, you know, we don't have elephants in America. Right. So like that, that story couldn't have been about it. Well, (laughs) I wasn't sure if they were things that animals that had been brought in as rescues or, you know, because they have preserves and people that rescue animals that want to give them a better life. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Yeah. But uh, that's interesting. Um, that is probably part of the reason too why poachers why they need to give extra special attention to those animals because poachers will come in and, and kill the animals yeah. to get their tusks because they sell for a lot of money. So yeah. evidently, it's my understanding that what they've been doing is they've been either painting the tusks or ruining the tusks of the animals so that they can't be removed and sold 
either painting them pink or black or something where they can't sell the tusks, which is cool. If that's what they need yeah, to do to save cool. those animals, fucking do whatever you got to do because I'm sure the animals don't give a fuck whether the tusks are white or pink or black. Right. Um, number 19, there is an area in Ohio called Helltown, which became abandoned in the 70s when the U.S. government drove citizens from their homes through eminent domain to form national parks. What the fuck? In Idaho? So Did we, you say Idaho or Ohio? Ohio, sorry. In Ohio? So, hey, it's Ohio. We need some national parks up in this bitch. Let's just go ahead and clear out all these citizens from their homes and build a national park mm-hmm. here. Let me look up the source on this one because this is kind of weird. Like, why the fuck would the would we want this? There's some pictures of it with the road closed and they just... Helltown, Helltown is home to six or seven separate legends, each one with dozens of variations of its own right, all of which has led this area in Boston Township to be grouped into one haunted site given an evil-sounding name. It's a dark and foreboding place where ghost cults and even serial killers have said, been said to lurk. People will tell you the entire town was cursed, warning that it was dangerous to be in the area after dark. Needless to say, we were intrigued and wanted to learn more. In the summer of 2001, we made our first visit to the area known as Helltown. You may be surprised at what we found. It is a nickname given to the northern part of Summit County. The areas most often associated with Helltown are led... Helltown legends are Boston Township and Boston Village, as well as portions of Sagamore Hills and Northfield Center Township. In most of these legends, all of the areas are combined into one large region, which is referred to as Boston Mills. First settled in 1806, the Boston stands as the oldest village in Summit County. The first mill was built in the village in the early 1820s. Okay, what people did not realize until it was too late was that the legislation had a darker aspect to it. It gave the federal government jurisdiction to buy houses and land right from underneath the current owners in order to clear the way for the national park. Almost immediately after the bill was passed, the government began acquiring houses through Boston Township, throughout Boston Township and the surrounding areas. Once the government had decided to buy property, there was no negotiation involved. The owners were forced to relocate. What can only be described as a, in what can only be described as a mass evacuation, residents began leaving in droves, and the entire town began to be swallowed up by the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. These events were so tragic that they were Cuyahoga? featured. Is that what it said? Yeah, Cuyahoga. Yeah. In the yeah, 1983 Cuyahoga. PBS documentary for the good of all, perhaps the general feelings of the displaced homeowners was best summed up in the statement found scrawled across the wall of a vacated home. Now we know the India how the Indians felt. So. Basically, Helltown. Uh, I mean, that seems a little. Yeah, I doubt it. You can really make that claim. I don't think so. They got paid for it. They got relocated. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, they built this national park, kicked a bunch of people out through eminent domain, and it created this Helltown. I wonder if anybody actually goes there. Of the town. What? Is that the actual name of the town, or is that just a nickname? I think it's a nickname. It is no coincidence that numerous bodies have also been found dumped into the woods of Helltown. This place is truly evil, as I've seen with my own eyes. Holy shit. Weird Ohio. Let's go into that. I think that's a whole episode on its own. Because there's a lot of stuff here. It's like really kind of hard to cover that. all of that in, in one uh, portion when we're not really necessarily delving into the specifics of any one case. But this Ohio area called Helltown will be... And a later episode, folks, we're going to dig into more detail on that, excuse me, at a later date. So stay tuned. Um, number 20 on this list, Canada has a national park that is larger than Switzerland. Well, Switzerland is really well, not that big of a country, but... I was going to say, yeah, that's, that doesn't, that's not like a... I wouldn't call that a kick-ass fact. No. Um, 
Number 21, Northeast Greenland National Park is bigger than all but 29 countries in the world, featuring 5,000 to 15,000 musk, oxen, and no permanent human, human population. So Damn. it's got a whole shit ton of musk, oxen, and no humans. You said it was larger than all but 29 countries? Yeah. In and the world. Switzerland was the one they chose to lead that with? No, no, no. That was a different fact. Oh. Different fact. Oh. Canada. Okay. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> Canada know has a national park. <laughs> this is Greenland. Different countries. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize we moved on. It's throwing me like, off because I thought this was national parks in the U.S., not national parks around the world. So it's yeah. kind of throwing me for a loop here. Number 22, Isa Lake in Yellowstone National Park is the only lake in the world that drains to two separate oceans. And number it's 20- a lake that drains to two two oceans? Yes. So like the, the Atlantic the and the then. Pacific, right? The Atlantic. Oh. Well, I was going to say the Gulf. The Gulf, you think? Okay, maybe. I don't know. It's probably, is it through a, meh, through a river? So I mean, I, yeah, I would think that like the, the, the lake drains to the Mississippi and the Mississippi goes to the Give me a Gulf. second. I will give you more information on that. <laughs> the Isa Lake is located in Yellowstone National Park in the U.S. state of Wyoming. The lake straddles the Continental Divide at Craig Pass and was first discovered in blah, blah, blah. Uh, the lake is believed <laughs> to, one of, to be one of only two natural lakes in the world which drain to two different oceans, the other being Walston Lake. Uh, the east side of the lake drains by the way of the Lewis River to the Pacific Ocean, and the west side of the lake drains by way of Firehole River to the Gulf of Mexico. Boom. Firehole River. That's, that's a badass name. Firehole River. Firehole River? Hell yeah. The lake is easy to visit as it, adjacent to the, as it is adjacent to the road that now connects to Old Faithful and West Thumb Geyser Basins on what is known as the lower loop of the figure eight highway, which travelers go through Yellowstone on. So interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, in number 23, in 1976, a chimpanzee mother-daughter duo kidnapped, murdered, and cannibalized at least three chimpanzee infants in Gombe National Park, effectively making chimp serial killers a reality. Oh, damn. Right? So it's not just humans that have the freaking serial killer on status on lockdown. Like, chimpanzees are- Where no, was that? No fucking joke. Uh, in Gombe National Park, I would imagine that's Africa. Right, Okay. Probably in Africa. <laughs> I feel confident that that's Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just call it a day. This is bizarre and yeah. fascinating details, not exact factual details. <laughs> we don't know yeah, all the facts, people. Temper okay. your expectations. We have no shits to give about actual facts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please don't send us emails about that. Um, number 24, the Sag- Saguaro National Park cacti have microchip IDs implanted to prevent theft. What the fuck is Saguaro National Park? Sidebar. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. New Mexico, Arizona. Wait, how do you spell it? Oh, Arizona. It's in Arizona. Um, that was definitely not what I was gonna guess. Nope. Saguaro. It's S A G U A R O. Saguaro. Oh. Saguaro okay, National sure. Park. If I am mispronouncing the mispronouncing these words, folks, forgive me. Don't worry about it. I am fucking murdering <laughs> these words today. Okay. <laughs> Number 25, as of May 19th, 2016, Betty Reed Soskin, age 94, is the oldest national park ranger serving in the United States. Get it, Betty. She's what? like, fuck that shit. I'm a ranger and what I'm not retiring. Park? She's, it, uh, let's see, where is she at? As of 2016, she is killing it. She's at the Homefront National Historic Park in Richmond, California. They said now, this has been updated, at 97, she is the oldest national park ranger serving in the U.S. 
In February 2018, she released a memoir, Signed My Name to Freedom. She's fucking killing it. She was in World War II as a file clerk for Boilermakers Union A36. Whoa. She's kicking ass. Can you imagine? It's, she's That's like, you could go see her. her and that would be the attraction. You know what I mean? Yeah, for real. She's in Richmond, California. Badass. The World War II Homefront National Historic Park. I didn't even know that was a thing. Rosie the Riveter. There's, there's a thing. Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Park in Richmond, California. That's Where's thing. Richmond, California? That's like uh, Northern California. Go there. That's Check awesome. it out, folks. Go meet her. She looks yeah, really. super, super interesting. More kick-ass facts about national parks. Number 26. Part of okay. Cuyahoga National Park in Ohio is an EPA Superfund site set up in 2012. Ford, 3M, Chrysler, and Waste Management of Ohio were all held liable for pollution. Yeah, that's the river that caught on fire. That's some crazy shit. And, um, I want to say it was in the 80s, maybe 70s. I don't know what the fuck it is about Ohio, but there's some crazy shit there. There's actually, I think, some of the main, um, God, what is that park called? It's one of the oldest pyramids in the world was actually located in one of the national parks in Ohio. I think it's Cuyahokia. Cuyahokia. Oh, I never heard of that. Give me one second. I, I like, captured the article because it's like I want to talk about it at some point. Um, yeah, the Cuyahoga River caught on fire in 1969 because there was so much um, pollution that was being dumped into it. I think it caught on fire more than once, but the big one was um, 1969. Kehokee Mounds State Historic Site is the state of the pre-Columbia Native American city directly across the Mississippi River from modern St. Louis, Missouri. This historic park lies in southeastern Illinois between East St. Louis and Collinsville. The park covers 2,200 acres and about 3.5 square miles with 80 mounds by the ancient city, but the ancient city was much uh, larger. In its heyday, this was covered about six square miles and included 120 man-made earthen, earthen, fuck, I can't speak, earthen mounds and a wide range of sizes, shapes, and functions. So this is like the pyramids of the U.S., and I had never heard about it until I listened to a podcast that was talking about it. And this is a whole, I'm going to edit this part out because this is a whole okay. different episode that we need to talk about. But this was one of the oldest cities in the country and possibly in the world as well. But they found, you know, pottery um, when they dug up the archaeological sites. It was pre-Columbian cities in Mexico that had connections to this area in Ohio. So it's amazing it's been desi- designated National Historic Landmark and one of the UNESCO Heritage World Sites within the U.S. So we only have very few of them. Um, we have, I think, 23, and that's one of them in yeah. Ohio. So we need to talk about that as a separate episode because there's a whole shit ton of weird and crazy facts around that particular historic site that's super interesting. But Ohio in general um, has a lot of stuff to talk about. It's weird because you wouldn't think that Ohio would have historic sites, crazy shit. It's just Ohio. It's like a really yeah. mid part yeah. of the country. Seems a little eh. Yeah. Meh. I've never been super impressed with Ohio, but maybe you'll tell me something that will make me impressed. But this is interesting. Um, pollution from Ford, 3M, Chrysler, and the Waste Management Centers of Ohio created some serious pollution. All there was a lawsuit involved in this, obviously, and they set up mm-hmm. a super fund. 
um, to deal with the pollution that they created. And this was given to the Cuyahoga National Park um, to create that and to help the citizens have some areas where they could go to that were clean, fresh, and able to see wildlife and trees and whatnot. But yeah, interesting. Um, number 27, the Ebola virus wiped out 70 to 95% of the 20,000 gorillas in the Congo's national park between 2003 and 2005. Ebola killed a huge portion of the gorillas. It wasn't too long after that, right? That, that we started having Ebola outbreaks in the States. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, that might have to be a separate episode or maybe an episode of Hypochondriac's Almanac because the Ebola virus I mean, in they, general is like fucking insane. Yeah. They, I, they might not even be related, but that just made me think, like I know Obama was president when it happened. Um, so it was at least 2008, but I feel like it was around that same time, but I don't know. The Ebola virus is like no fucking joke. That shit's crazy. Just Mm-mm. bleeding out of your eyes and your ears and your mouth and like crazy insanity Mm -hmm. that is definitely a huge topic to be covered in hypochondriac almanac that is our sister podcast for you listeners out there who do not know go check it out we talk about all kinds of weird medical illnesses diseases treatments syndromes etc it's very very interesting we talk about a lot of crazy illnesses like the ebola virus that is definitely an interesting topic as well but we're not going to delve into that here because we are on an hour-long podcast and that is not the topic for the day. But number 28, in 2014, archaeologists from the Great Basin National Park discovered a 132-year-old Winchester Model 1873 rifle leaning against a juniper tree. The discovery of this forgotten Winchester was fortunate because less than two years later, a wildfire swept through the area and the rifle was discovered. Huh. Oh, wait. A wildfire, a wildfire, hang on. A wildfire swept through the area that the rifle was discovered in. So had they not discovered the rifle prior to the wildfires, the wildfires probably would have melted it or ruined the area. But interesting. The Winchester gun brand is really interesting because, you know, that mystery, the Winchester Mystery House, which I always wanted to go to. But I I did an episode on that. That was one of the first episodes that we did. We talked about Sarah Winchester And the Winchester Mystery House. Fascinating. Um, The Winchester rifle legacy in general is very, very interesting. Um, The fact that the Winchester rifle sort of changed modern warfare. Because until Mm -hmm. that point, soldiers had had to take their guns and reload after one or two shots. Or one shot, they'd have to reload so they'd have to stop. You know, take two, three to five minutes to reload the rifle and then shoot again. But with the Mm -hmm. advent of the Winchester rifle, they were able to shoot 10, 15, 20 times with one loading. So it essentially turned one man into an entire regiment or entire, you know, group of 12 men. So one guy was able to do much more damage. So it changed the nature of warfare. Yeah. So to find an 1873 rifle just fucking leaning against a juniper tree is insane. Yeah, that is really... What, where was that? This was in Great Basin National Park. Um, the Great Basin National Park is in Nevada. Oh, okay. Baker, Nevada. Yeah, it's a criminal podcast. So in Nevada, they found a Winchester model rifle leaning against a juniper tree. Interesting. It's crazy that this park that has been around for how long... They just found it in 2014. Yeah. 132 years after the rifle was made. Yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, there's just so much land in national parks that 
um, stuff can happen and you just have no idea. Like there's a whole... Go ahead. I wonder if it's something that was there from 132 years ago and never found, or if it was something that was like a recreation, you know, war thing and some idiot from 20 years ago leaned it against a tree and it was his antique grandfather's rifle and he was messing around with it and they found it later. You know what I mean? Or whether it was actually legitimately there from 132 years ago. Yeah. I want details. I I want to know all about this 132-year-old Winchester model rifle. Um, Number 29, wolves were created, or excuse me, wolves were credited for changing the rivers in the Yellowstone National Park. What? I got to look at the source on that one. That doesn't make sense to me. Wait, what? Say that again? What was it? Wolves were credited for with changing the rivers. What the fuck? This is a YouTube article. Okay, I'm not going to watch a whole YouTube video about this. <laughs> but evidently, their hunting patterns, their um, packs probably had some... I don't even know. I don't even want to get into this. This just seems way too fucking complicated for one episode. Number 30, there's a tree of life in Olympic National Park in Washington that survives despite hanging over a cliff by its roots. Whoa. Cray cray. I want to see that one. I've been to Olympic Does National it Park. It it's absolutely amazing. The tree that won't die, even though it's hanging over a cliff by its roots. The tree of life in Olympic National Park in Washington is attached to the edge of a large void by a few roots. Many of the tree's large roots can be seen dangling and exposed with a large cave having formed underneath. The natural growth, excuse me, the natural growth still sprouts fresh green leaves every spring despite its roots having very little contact with soil. I will post a picture of this shit. This is crazy. Yeah, I want to see that. I'm going to, like, have to put it on our Instagram because this shit's, like, legit. And I can't see anything. You look it up. Google it. Oh, I thought you were, like, holding it up on to the camera. No, I was going to take a picture and post oh. it on our Instagram. Look it up. It's the Tree <laughs> of Life in Olympic National Tree Park in Washington. Because okay. it I'll is it really, really cool looking. It's nestled in the Olympic National Park, a tree that appears to defy the laws of gravity. And there's a cave underneath it. Does it say how old it is? Uh, does not. The surprising growth that has oh. resulted from the cliff slowly eroding over time. But despite the, this, the giant tree continues to thrive. I thought they should be able to figure out how old this shit is. Because it's like, you can figure out how old trees are. Yeah. The UNESCO protected tree is approximately 400 years old. And is situated okay. in the desert and is the only tree growing for miles, despite there being no clear water supply. Oh, wow. It's thought its deep root systems account for its unusual reach of water, although the tree still remains a mystery. The crooked forest of Gryfino in Poland is also a natural marvel, marvel featuring bizarre curved tree trunks. So there's a picture of this shit, too. Anyway, yeah. I will post... I will post a picture of this amazing tree, the tree of life in the Olympic national park. It'll be on the Instagram feed and the Twitter feed folks. So do not worry. You can check it out. I'll also put the link to this article in the show notes. So you can go click on it and see more information. If you are so inclined, number 31 on this list in Germany, there's an undetectable minefield in a national park filled with glass landmines. What? Wow. When was that from? Like, are we talking World Wars or are we talking earlier? I would imagine it's World War II. Let's check it out. 
I don't know when glass okay. lines were. Several mi- several parts of the national park will not be open to public for a long time. Anti-personnel minefields sewn into glass mine 43 mines dating from the Second World War still exist near the dam in this reservoir in Germany. These sorts of mines cannot be easily cleared because there is no device able to detect them. They're glass, not metal. So they can't metal oh, detect shit. them. Even explosive dog excuse me, even explosive sniffing dogs cannot be used because there are no traces of explosive that can be detected. Um, and no traces of explosive have spread throughout the soil as a result of the fighting. Injuries caused by such mines are extremely difficult to treat medically because the glass splinters cannot be picked up by x-rays. Wow. Oh my God. So how, how big is this area where all the glass mines are? The areas of the park that were sown with glass mines have been fenced off and marked with warning tape. Entering through them is strictly forbidden. This is within the Eiffel National Park. It is the 14th national park in Germany and the first in North Rhine-Westphalia. Um, ba, 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 ba. Okay, Several parts of the national park will not be open to the public for a long time. It does not say. It just says hmm. that anti-personnel minefields sown into glass mine 43 mines dating from the Second World War still exist near the dam at the Erft Reservoir. So it doesn't say how much land... Just that no entry, yeah. and they've posted warnings, and the area is cordoned off. Jesus. Right? That's fucking crazy. Um, that would be insane. I could imagine there are probably many, many areas in Europe that are like that, and also mm-hmm. in a lot of Asian countries from Vietnam and some of these other mm-hmm. conflicts that have existed throughout time where they use different kinds of mines. But that is crazy that there are mines out there that cannot be detected from because they're glass. Who ever heard of a glass mine? That's a whole other episode. I've never even heard about that. That's crazy. We have to do a warfare yeah. episode. Yeah. Let's edit let's this part it. out. We'll do a warfare episode. And we'll talk about weird shit used in like mustard gas and glass mines. And like some of the crazy shit that was invented by Germans during world war two, like the supernatural related shit is insane. Yeah. it is so crazy. We've got to talk mm-hmm. about that. Like the, te- they used the Tesla, lightning ball and like super they were developing atomic related weapons for a long period mm-hmm. of time so that is yeah. a whole nother episode that we definitely need to like get into because that's like some crazy shit not to be discussed within <laughs> national parks episode I, know. I didn't think we were going to get into world war ii on this one no but world war ii in itself is like you could do like a yeah. five-part episode on that it's so like filled with so many bizarre and fascinating details but anyway Number 32, Liberia has a national park with the highest mammal species diversity of any region in the world. Due to its location and the absence of amenities, there are few visitors. The park has no roads or trails, so it can only be reached on foot. So, folks, if you want to go check out Liberia's national parks. (laughs) You know, just like the next time you're in Liberia. Right. That's in Africa, right? uh, Yes. Yeah. So, highest mammal species diversity, but there's no roads or trails, so... <laughs> so, like, if one of them's attacking you, you can't get in a car and drive away? No. Sounds so fun. Cool. Let's go. <laughs> Let's yeah. do an episode from there. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> number 33, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park is far and away the most visited national park in the country, having over 11 million visitors annually. Yeah, because I don't have anything else to fucking do in the Great Smoky Mountains area. <laughs> this is not... True. It's very pretty in okay. the, like, the Appalachian okay. area. Okay, okay, okay. Whatever. I'm just saying, it is really 
<laughs> and there are some some really cool areas. Like Asheville, North Carolina is amazing. Number 34. Two college graduates traveled the U.S. vandalizing historical and private signs as grammar vigilantes. After damaging a sign in the Grand Canyon that was more than 60 years old, the two were banned from the national parks for a year, given probation, and made to pay for the restorations. A year? What the actual fuck? Ban these guys for life. Why? Just why would you? Why? Because they were grammar vigilantes. What the fuck? That's dumb. Seriously. People on Twitter like everybody else does. Fucking ban them for life. They don't deserve to be there. If they're going to destroy shit and not leave it in the same state it was when they went through that, when they went through, they need to be banned for life. Period. Really? That's my opinion. Um, Agreed. Number 35. National parks cover more than 25% of Costa Rica's area. Costa Rica's got their shit together. And they're like, let's just designate a quarter of our country for national parks and call it a fucking day. Can't build on them. The the government has to funnel money through them to make sure they stay open and give people a place to go. Hell yeah. I'm all for it. I've heard Costa Rica's supposed to be gorgeous. Oh yeah. I would love to go to Costa Rica. I have not been there yet, but it is on my bucket list. Number 36. There are sailing stones that move about on their own without any human or animal intervention in Death Valley National Park. You've heard about this, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. These little fuckers, like, I will show a picture of it. This, they're like, they got a little trail behind them. I will definitely post this folks on our Instagram and Twitter feeds. Cause these, these fuckers are very, very interesting. Death Valley in general is very interesting. Yeah. It's not exactly, I mean, it, it is beautiful in its own kind of barren and very sort of sterile type of way. Um, have you ever been to death, death Valley? I've never been to death Valley, but, um, I've seen, I've seen obviously the, the pictures of these rocks and like, they, I think they do like an ultra marathon through death Valley. Don't they? Uh, they, they I have think it's supposed to. to be like the most dangerous race in the world or something. One of them for sure. Just yeah. because it's so dry and it can be so hot in that area. But these, yeah, I think the sailing stones and the whole reason behind the way these stones move. Hang on. Let's find out some more information before I move on. Cause this is fucking interesting. They are a geological phenomenon found in the racetrack. Slabs of dolomite and cyanite ranging from a few hundred grams to a few hundred kilograms to, wait, ranging from a few hundred grams, sorry, the Skype thing is covering it, ranging from a few hundred grams to hundreds of kilograms, inscribe visible tracks as they slide across the playa surface without human or, yeah. animal, or animal intervention. Instead, rocks move when ice sheets just a few millimeters thick start to melt during the periods of light wind. These floating these thin floating ice panels create an ice shove that moves the rocks up to five meters per minute. The 2017, Whoa, that's a lot. right? The two, the 2017 documentary principles of curiosity explores its central theme in the story of how the sailing stones movement has been a mystery, which came to be solved using scientific method and critical thinking. So there are ice slabs beneath these bad boys. When they start to melt, it gets real cold. Death Valley in general, yeah, Death Valley in general is one of the most extreme places in the world because that shit gets freezing cold and it gets burning hot all within a 24 hour period. So they get ice, they get burning temperatures. It's an amazing place. Um, 38, four Germans who were lost at death Valley national park were found by a single dedicated volunteer 13 years after the initial massive search. It was the second trip into the area when he discovered the first set of skeletal remains. 
that's like some dedication right there. He's like, I will yeah, not really. stop until I find these fuckers. And he found them. So he was, he was actually still searching. It wasn't somebody that just happened to happened upon him. Nope. He was still searching, wow. but it was only his second trip to that particular area. Cause death Valley national park is fucking huge. So like if yeah. it's just one person setting up a grid of the park and sort of doubling up on the areas, like it's going to take him a long time to cover that if he's doing it all by foot. Interesting. And, so they just went missing, like, and that's what happened. And then yeah, they went out for a hike, thing. and wait, let's find some more information. More information, um, you say? Let's do it. I, I do say it. There actually is a whole phenomenon about people that go missing in national parks. That um, is some interesting shit. Yeah, there's a book series called Missing Four One One, and there is a website. It's called Can Am Missing, so like Canada and America Missing. Um, dot com. Um, and there's a series of books, but they're really hard to get. I don't think they're in, um, public like production anymore. Mm-hmm. So you have to buy them from other sellers and they're like really expensive. Um, but just a little bit about from the, about it from this website, um, just in the Western U S missing 411 is the first comprehensive research about people who have disappeared in the wilds of North America. It's understood that people routinely get lost and some want to disappear, but this story is about the unusual. Nobody has ever studied the archives for similarities, traits, and geographical clusters of missing people until now. A tip from a national park ranger led to this four-plus year and $900,000 investigative effort into understanding the stories behind people who have vanished. The book chronicles children, adults, and the elderly have disappeared, sometimes in the presence of friends and relatives. As search and rescue personnel exhaust leads and places to search, relatives start to believe kidnappings and abductions have, have occurred. The belief by the relatives is not an isolated occurrence. It replicates itself time and time again, case after case across North America. So the research depicts 28 clusters of missing people across the continent, um, something that has never been exposed and was a shocking find to researchers. Topography does not play a part into the age of the victims, and certain clusters have identified specific age and sex consistency that is baffling. Um, And so the whole thing about this is there is no no database from the national park system about people that go missing. They don't track it. Um, interestingly enough, I mean, I think that would be an area that would be rife for crime because people feel secure. They feel safe when they're national parks, they let their guard down. Am I right on that? And it's, yeah. And it's so, these parks are so vast that when people go missing, it's just, there's just not enough people to search. And that's, to me, that's what it comes down to. But, um, but the fact that there is no database of people that go missing, like when somebody in your group goes missing and you go to a park ranger and you say, Hey, somebody's missing, like they're not tracking this in a larger database. And that's what this whole missing formal one thing came about. So they do track crime that happens, but a missing person is different than a murdered person. So mm-hmm. that in itself is a distinction that they would not keep track of. So, which is very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. and then clearly you have a lot of people that are going into these national parks from other countries and from different parts of the world that do not understand the topography, the climate, the extreme temperatures. Like, for example, these four Germans that went into Death Valley, perhaps they did not understand the extreme heat, the need for water, and they underestimated what they would need, and then they got lost and and died because of their lack of knowledge of the area. Um, It's interesting, and I would be willing to take a whole episode and sort of devote it to people that have become missing to actual cases of people that are missing within national parks. 
Yeah, I think they did a movie, and I think you can watch it on YouTube. I haven't seen it yet, but um, it's definitely something that's on my list of things to uh, research because it's fascinating. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think we skipped number 37 on this list because I do not recall having read this, but number 37 is the world's leading expert on African lions believes the only feasible way to conserve them in the Serengeti is to erect a fence around the national park. This project would cost tens of millions of dollars. Number 39, there is an anti-poaching unit, the Black Mambas, in South Africa, comprised of women from the local community, and it is the first all-female unit of its kind. They patrol and protect the animals in the greater Kruger National Park. Again, that's in South Africa. Badass. I am all for that. Let's get these chicks, these badass chicks, and, like, let's do this shit. Because it does not take a man to be able to do that work. Right. Um, number 40, this is the last fact on this list. There is a glass walkway in China's Tiananmen Mountain National Park that is 200 feet long and about 4,700 feet in the air. What? No, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I am That's seriously like scared of heights. I would, at the, uh, Grand Canyon. I would fucking freak the fuck out. And that would be, so, I mean, yeah. I'm sure it's beautiful, but like, oh my God, that would be so scary to be walking That's that far near. Yeah, no thanks. Hard pass. Although I'm sure it's yeah. absolutely beautiful there. Well, that's like the the one that it's like a shorter one, the little one, the, the little you know loopy at the Grand Canyon. Um, it's weird they only have one died, fact not in here on that bridge, but somebody actually just just died in that area. Oh, that's crazy! Like, like two days ago, I think. Yeah. Shit. It's yeah. Not, of, they didn't fall off the bridge or anything, but they did fall over the edge. Like as an accident. Uh, yeah. They didn't jump. Right. Wow. Um, yep. What's kind of interesting to me is that there's only one fact. I mean, if this is a truly a national park system internationally, and there's one fact about Chinese parks, Chinese ha- China in general as a country has thousands of national parks yeah. and dozens of UNESCO World Heritage Sites. So the fact they only yeah. gave one fact about China is interesting to me. Um there are some amazing things in China that we've got to do separate episodes on because just the clay soldiers, that's like a whole episode in itself. Um, China has pyramids just the same way as South America and Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of really interesting, fascinating. There are people that believe that China invented pasta before the Italians. And pizza. Yeah. It's a country where there's a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of misconceptions, um, I want to do probably a five-part series on China and some of the cool stuff that's going on there. And there are just the murders in China, the true crime, the stuff that's yeah. just – there's some crazy shit that happens in China that I don't think as a society and as an educational system, we don't talk about China. No, we don't. Um, and that's a whole other thing. But, yeah, we, we definitely don't spend as much time learning about China as we do about um, – we don't really spend that much time as about, about Europe countries in general. but Or like – like the Soviet Union, you know, like, like we don't, we don't, we just don't spend that much time learning about other countries anymore, but, no. um, you know, let's devote some episodes to that. Even just the, the hypochondriacs almanac, the medical parts that come from China, Chinese medicine is thousands of years old. Yeah. American medicine, hundreds, yeah. huge difference, huge, huge difference. So, and the fact that we sort of, sort of, smirk and sneer and laugh at Chinese medicine. This shit has been around for thousands of years, people. 
How is our um, medicine better than Chinese medicine? That was where, um, like, forensic entomology was, or I, maybe it's just forensics, but I, I, for sure it has to do with um, bugs, so maybe it's forensic entomology. Um, but that's where that was first discovered, and I don't remember the year, but it's hundreds of years ago. Um, and a farmer killed, like, was killed or whatever, and the police told all of the farmers in the um, in the area to bring all of their sides to, like, just you know, and put them all down or whatever. And they were all clean. There was no blood on any of them. Um, but flies started congregating on this one guy's side. And that's how they found out that he was the murderer. That shit's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, obviously maybe this is going to have to be part one of two because we didn't really talk about any specific murder cases within the national parks. And to be honest with you, there are dozens of murder cases in the national parks. So folks, this is part one of our National Parks episode, and we are going to have another one where we're just going to talk about true crime and murders within the National Parks, because that shit in awesome. itself is very, very interesting. Agreed, Darcy? Yep. I agree. Got to talk about Carrie Stainer and some of the other crazy shit that has happened there. Yep. Um in the meantime, um, you can contact us, folks, if you would like to talk to us at thebfdpodcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, suggestions. We are always happy to talk to you, folks. We love your emails. We will put the email address in the show notes as well. But we have a couple of emails this week. So we got an email from Emily saying, congrats on your new podcast. Sounds like you two ladies have a big agenda with two podcasts. Would love to hear more about aliens. After all, you did promise. So that is something that Katrina and I sort of covered off on. But aliens are a very interesting topic. The whole UFOs and all that kind of stuff. Um, The Area 51 sightings and the number of um, reported alien abductions it's Mm -hmm. insane so that in itself is three to five parts in an alien episode but are you down for some sort of an alien episode darcy yeah i'm down to talk about it because i think we probably have some different um viewpoints on aliens i'm I'm much more of a cynic i have varying opinions on aliens as well um it's interesting that we can definitely get into it, but this is signed one of your first fans, Emily. Yay. Yay. And the title of the, of the email is kudos. So thank you, Emily, for sending us out this email. We are definitely going to talk about some aliens. They are one of the hot topics for bizarre and fascinating details. We can't wait to get into that. Um, next episode, next email is from Peter H. One major suggestion, professional microphones. They make a huge difference in sound quality and cutting out some of the punctuation sounds. Also, we love Audacity to edit with. It's a great platform with lots of easy tools for more recorders who want to advance their podcast quality. Feel free to hit me up if you have any recording or editing questions. Signed, Peter H. Thank you, Peter, for your cool. suggestion. We are always Thanks, Peter. yeah, we are always aiming to improve the quality of our podcast. Because we are just starting out, we are sort of doing all of this on as many of the free um, software programs that we can find. Um, but as we continue to build a listening audience and get sponsorships, we are creating our Patreon platform, and we will get a PayPal. Um, donation link set up as well um, once we get our website up to speed where we will allow people to donate funding and with that funding we plan on upgrading the show as we go along obviously 
Um, we do the best we can with what we have right now. But yes, that is one of the first things I plan on purchasing once we start um, building a greater audience and getting money coming in from the show is some better quality um, microphone equipment. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thank you so much, Peter, for your suggestions. We love it. Please send us more email. In the meantime, um, until next time. Oop. Oh, let's plug the uh, the Twitter and the Instagram. Yes. So we have a Twitter account. We are at the BFD podcast. So find us on Twitter um, and, and, and hit the follow button. You can also check us out on Instagram. We're at podcast.addict. Um, or at Podcast Addict on Instagram. We post pictures as well as on our Twitter account of the different things that we talk about on the show. So join us, follow us, check out some of the cool stuff. We put the details slash websites that we um, talk about on the show onto our show notes. So if you want to go check out more specific details on some of the things we talked about today, that is a good place to go. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird wild and wacky stuff good night podcast peeps stay safe keep it real and always live your best life bye where you go guys